Views expressed on this program are those of the sponsors and do not necessarily reflect the views of the station. Discussions in this show should not be construed as specific recommendations or investment advice. Always consult with your investment professional before making important investment decisions. Securities offered through Cambridge Investment Research Incorporated, a registered broker-dealer, member FINRA and SIPC. Investment Advisor Representative, Cambridge Investment Research Advisors Incorporated, a registered investment advisor. Indices mentioned are unmanaged and cannot be invested into directly. Asset allocation and diversification strategies cannot assure profit or protect against loss. Past performance is no guarantee of future results. Capital Retirement Strategies and Cambridge Investment Research are not affiliated. All right. Welcome to Plan for Life Now, episode number 83. Dave, how are you doing? I'm good. Can't complain. Ready to start off the work year. Everything's open. It's the big grand open. Oh, wait a second. (laughs) It's all the same. All the same Ah. stuff, as we say on a podcast, to avoid cursing. My... My wife continues to remind me that I had pretty much declared the pandemic over as of, uh, I think it was right around Memorial Day. You know, I was, we were back at the pool and everything felt kind of normal and, you know, we just gotten vaccinated. I said, pandemic's over. Don't worry about it. Everything's good. <laughs> I thought the same thing. I've like people said to me, I guess I was over boisterous also about <laughs> being over. I, so it's, I thought you said you were done wearing a mask. Yes, that was before the Delta variant thing. Uh, right, I, yeah. I was wrong about that. What do you want? Yeah. No, I mean, people, they don't like it when you change your mind. But, you know, the, the circumstances changed. Yes, I'm going back to totally masking and all that. Right. But it is, but having said that, it is definitely different than it was before different in i don't know how how we're just sort of dealing with it people are going to do what they're going to do um it's just different it's not the same as being totally shut down so whatever this new normal is what can we do yeah all right well uh let's talk about here dave we've got jeremy siegel's top 10 economic predictions for the next few months and beyond and I was already thinking about what to title this podcast you know, when we send it out. And Cambridge, certainly Cambridge, if you don't know, that's our broker dealer. And they listen to all this stuff and they make sure we don't say anything bad. And they don't like us to make any predictions. And we certainly are not making predictions. We're simply going to report on Jeremy Siegel's predictions. Um, but I was thinking about a podcast topic and I was thinking of calling this things that might or might not happen in the next few months because that's all these are. <laughs> I, mean, it's... I like that. I actually like that they don't like us making predictions because if we were to, we'd get in trouble. I, I like that. Yeah. I mean, come on. I <laughs> I had a client the other day who call, who I was talking to for whatever reason, and he just said, hey, so, so tell me what's going to happen the rest of the year with the stock market. And I did this kind of deep, long sigh, and I said, Eric, I I don't know. I have said I could come up with some decent thing to tell you. I said, Eric, I don't, you know, I don't know. And he said, you know what, Steve, that was the right answer because nobody really knows. 
And he said, you know, I don't need to hear your BS about blah, blah, blah. This could happen, blah, blah, blah. Because the answer is we don't really know. We don't know. If you've been doing our job for any length of time, I'm going to say at least five years, but you and I have been doing this. I hate to use the word forever, but a super long time. You, If you're not humbled by the markets, humbled, have humility about what's going to happen, then that's dangerous, I think, for the clients. All right, so let's knock these out. Jeremy Siegel's top 10 economic predictions for the next few months and beyond. Um, and by the way, if you don't know who Jeremy Siegel is, I, I, you know, we throw around some of these names just like we assume you know. He's a professor of finance at Wharton. Um, so I mean, he, you know, he talks about the markets and is out there very vocal a lot of the time. So number one, the economy will be strong despite rising inflation. And this is certainly sort of a, I don't want to say consensus idea out there, but not not anything that's very radical. But it's basically saying, listen, we've got all these stimulus packages that were passed by the government, uh, by Congress, and we've got the stimulus that's still going on in the by the Federal Reserve. So just to refresh you, what the Federal Reserve is still doing is – that thing that in the past they called quantitative easing, you know, if you remember that term from back in the 08, 09 time period, they called it quantitative easing. But basically what it is, is they are buying $120 billion worth of bonds every month. So they are flooding the market with liquidity. And frankly, that's that's a good thing for the stock market uh, because – when you've got all this money out there, both the you know congressional stimulus packages and the the Federal Reserve, people are going to spend money. They're going to put it in the economy. They're going to uh, buy stocks, and and that's a good thing in general. And also, the Delta variant has not shut down the economy. Going back to some of the stuff I was just saying a few minutes ago. Yeah. <laughs> the Delta. We are learning to live with it economically. There are winners and losers, but we're we're living with it, and I think that's you know. That's think, not hurting the economy to actually, you know, not be shut down again. Yeah, I think you're right. When you were kind of saying earlier, yeah, you know, it's, <laughs> cases are up and, and hospitalizations are up, but it kind of feels different. And it's it's that we've sort of learned to live with it for better or worse. Um, Jeremy Siegel, number two, his prediction here, prices may rise 20% over the next few years. So this is certainly a, you know, a prediction that's been out there from a lot of people that we will see this uptick in inflation. And I really should say, instead of saying we will see, you know, we have seen an uptick right. in inflation. Um, but I mean, inflation, I'm trying to remember what some of the numbers year over year, I think they were more like four and a half percent inflation. Um, and he's essentially predicting that we'll see five to six percent inflation over the next three to four years. Now, to put that in some context, if, if the long term average on inflation, really long term, last hundred years or so, is right around three percent. But the last 30 years has only been around two percent. So, so that prediction would be a shock. Not a shock to nothing shocking, but as far as as the, when you start to look at some of our clients, 
people mm-hmm. who are on more of a fixed income now versus just earning uh, at their job, that's if that comes true, that's an issue that needs to be dealt with. Yeah, and I I think that will also bring bring to light um, you know an issue that we've talked about in the past is in terms of how some of these pensions and social security actually calculate inflation adjustments. Uh, you know, because some of these pensions have different formulas of, you know, what type of inflation they track. And if you're sitting there saying, what do you mean, what type of inflation is just inflation? Well, no, the Department of Labor has, you know, don't quote me on this. It's 10 or 15 different types of inflation that they calculate. You know, so they have urban inflation and they have uh, inflation for you know, seniors, you know, older inflation, and they've got all these different metrics they track. So if we really do see inflation pick up to five or six percent, but Social Security is only getting two or three percent, you know, that starts to become some real dollars there for for a lot of our clients and listeners. Yeah. Um, number three, Jeremy Siegel's prediction, stocks will continue to be a great bet for investors. Um, so, you know, this is one of those things. <laughs> I'm so glad that Cambridge doesn't allow us to predict. Anyway. <laughs> um, you know, this is one of those things that I always find interesting is that, that people will often come to us and say, okay, great. We're going to have inflation the next couple of years. So I really want to do, do my best, position my portfolio to hedge against inflation. So what what should I look at here? Should I look at commodities? Should I look at uh, treasury inflation protected securities or maybe even real estate? Yeah, those are kind of conventional thoughts. But the the number one historical best bet against inflation are stocks. And I, I feel like people, you know, almost have this bias towards action. Um, you know, we've talked about this in the past that that people want to take action and do something feels a lot better than not doing anything. And so they feel like, okay, well, I know I have stocks, but there's got to be something else that I should be in to beat out inflation. But really, stocks are, I mean, it's nice to have some of those other things, but stocks are your best bet if inflation really does pick up. Um, Um, Except. (laughs) Except. When you just buy into that totally and you've been dealing with a bull market that seemingly never ends and your downside risk in your mind is, well, what if the market's flat next year and I and inflation's 4% and I only make 1% and then you lost 20%? Yeah. Then well, all of a sudden you didn't really think about your risk management tolerance and where you really are emotionally. So you can get sometimes burned by the thought of, no, that's this a train of, this train of thought is dangerous for some people. Well, that's a, that's a really good point because essentially, you know, what what you're doing there is is we're mixing up different risks together. So I'm saying, okay, stocks are great against inflation risk, but what are stocks not so great for? Or you've got to be aware of is market risk. So yes, some of those other assets that we mentioned could help you deal with inflation risk and not have the same market risk. Um, because you're right, Dave, you can never lose sight of the fact that, 
you know, hey, these stocks are great for inflation, but they also have the potential to lose 30 or 40 percent in a short time period. Yeah, your risk tolerance is awesome in hindsight. (laughs) That's true. Um, Number four, tapering will start soon. Um, So Jeremy Siegel predicts the Fed will start tapering off in the end, um, I'm sorry, in early 2022. So what tapering means, once again, this is that um, the Federal Reserve doing those bond buying purchases every single month the quantitative easing, as they used to call it. Um, And so the tapering essentially means they're going to be buying fewer bonds. And for those historians of the bond market out there, you know, for all of you out there, I'd love to to document these things. Um, Back in 2013, when the Fed started tapering, we had something in the bond market called the taper tantrum. And the taper tantrum basically meant that the bond market freaked out for a little bit when the Fed started tapering. Because you're essentially removing this very large buyer of bonds from the market. Um, so, you know, could that happen again? Yeah, it could. We could see some more volatility in bonds as, uh, you know, as the Fed starts to taper off. But the there. Fed tapers. You could not, the way they taper isn't the same as like dealing with alcoholism. The way they taper would be, uh, gee, I have nine drinks a, a day this month, but next month, and I'm going to stick to this, I'm going to stick to seven and a half drinks a day <laughs> and go from there. So the way they taper to me yeah. has always been, didn't really cataclysmic, not for the markets because the tapering is so incredibly glacial. Yeah, it is. And that, I mean, they tried to, broadcast, you know, this is what we're doing, this is what we plan on doing, so there aren't big shocks to the market. All right, number five, Jeremy Siegel's 10 predictions in the future. Uh, Bond yields will still uh, rise toward 2%. So, you know, when when people generally speak bond yields, they're talking about the 10-year treasury. I don't know what it's at today, but it's less than 2%, maybe, you know, 1.5% or so. so, I mean, that's, to me, probably one of the least surprising things in all, all of these predictions. He had to come up with stuff to make 10. What's next? <laughs> yeah, right. I mean, you can't have nine. That's just weird. <laughs> um, this is number six. This is one that, that I've seen quite a bit of. Value stocks will likely outperform growth stocks. Um, so, and now he's specifying here for the rest of 2021. Now, this has certainly been the trend that we saw the first half of the year. It's narrowed a bit, but let's go all the way back to 2020, the beginning of 2020, and we saw pretty dramatic outperformance by U.S. growth stocks versus value stocks. So when we talk about large cap U.S. growth, we're talking Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google, Tesla, all of those big growth-oriented stocks. And all of the value stocks, the energy companies, the financials, the utilities, things like that that tend to be more value-oriented, they really underperformed. And then the first half of this year, that script just flipped totally. And there's been a, a little bit of narrowing of that gap there. But if you look, if you look at an overall 50-year picture, of yep. things, and you're a Wharton professor like this guy is, 
that prediction would basically fit uh, without boring people with statistics. What goes around comes around. Yeah. No, totally. I mean, this, you know, in fact, I was going to reference there was this um, there was this research paper that came out from Vanguard and really took a look at this in detail and basically how this outperformance of growth stocks versus value stocks over the last, you know, eight or nine years is really historic. You know, we, we've never seen this long of a period of time when growth has outperformed value. For, for such a, you know, by such a large margin for such a sustained period of time. So Vanguard's prediction was actually going forward that we're probably likely to see value stocks outperform growth. I, you know, I don't know what the number was, but I think it was five or six percent over the next, you know, however many years. Um, so that's, you know, that's a prediction we've certainly seen out there. Number seven. Um, there will be higher taxes. So we're not again, allowed I, to predict. Are we allowed <laughs> to agree with a prediction? Sure, we can agree. We're just we're listing these things out. That one. Wow. I think I agree with that one. I don't. I don't have to say. I think I agree. I definitely agree with this. Um, and you know, we've talked about this with a lot of clients in our meetings recently. Is you know this idea that we'll have higher taxes. You could have made a real strong argument for this before COVID-19. So before coronavirus and all this stuff, you could have said, listen, we've got a big national debt. We run a deficit every year. Chances are we're going to need to pay for all this stuff. So higher taxes in the future are reasonable. But we did have coronavirus and we did have all this stimulus and extra spending so now the debt is even bigger. And uh, and of course, you know, Biden uh, got elected. So the chances of him raising taxes, you know, certainly went way up. And then, you know, what we tell people is, listen, if nothing happens, if Biden can't get anything passed, the Trump tax cuts will expire after 2025. So the, the Trump tax cuts, because they were not revenue neutral, we're not permanent. So after 2025, the old, essentially Bush-era tax rates will go into effect. Um, so for most people, Which, that's a 3 or 4%. And that's, and that's an easy way to increase taxes because you don't have to do anything if you're a politician, and it just yep. happens. And I wish I came up with that one, but you came up with that one. <laughs> well, I don't know if I came I, up I with it or not. Well, you came up with it in my world. I haven't read it <laughs> anywhere, and you came up with it. I'm giving you full credit. Just take it. Okay. All right. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, you know, this is that discussion. There will be higher taxes. And this is where we, we have this discussion with a lot of clients about does it make sense to do a Roth conversion? Um, you know, the, the whole calculation that you're making with a Roth conversion is I would rather pay taxes now versus paying taxes later. You know, if if you look at the numbers and you say, you know what, I can pay taxes now at 24%. I don't know what the future holds, but even if it is just the Trump tax cuts expiring, I'll be in the 28% bracket, then I'm coming out 4% ahead. Um, and obviously, if you expect further tax increases on top of that, which certainly could be possible, 
you know, then you're going to come out more ahead. So that's, that's worth a discussion there. Yeah. Uh, prediction from Jeremy Siegel, number eight, both infrastructure bills will pass. Um, so, you know, of course there's this discussion of this, um, you know, bipartisan bill, uh, infrastructure bill, the much smaller one, and then the other one, uh, done through budget reconciliation, the much larger bill. Um, now of course, <laughs> very slim majority, the slimmest that you could possibly have in the Senate there, 50-50 with the, the vice president as a tiebreaker, um, to get both of those passed there. Um, and, and I'm, you know, when we talk about these infrastructure bills and people see these big price tags associated with it, it you know, obviously the big price tags are, are kind of scary when you talk about three and a half trillion dollars and people say, well, who's going to pay for this? Um, but I think, you know, whenever it comes to spending, you've got to look at, you know, what are the benefits and trade-offs? And when you're spending money like that on something like infrastructure, you know, you're getting something out of that. So, you know, having better roads and better uh, transportation and better, you know, all that infrastructure, that will make the economy more productive. Right. Not to mention the jobs that are created from it, exactly stuff. Um, so, yeah, that's just something that has to be done. But all of this comes back to it's pretty – the one prediction I've agreed with flat out agreed with was the higher taxes. You still yeah. got to pay for it with that. Even back to our inflation, if inflation is what it says, and then the Social Security is taxed even more because they have to have these inflationary growth. What, what does that say about the Social Security system? Right. And, and who's going to support that? Us with taxes. Yep. Um, prediction number nine, FANG stocks will falter. Um, so FANG stocks, that acronym somebody came up with, <laughs> uh, Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, and Google. And like I mentioned, you know, these stocks were just the darlings of 2020. You know, they, they drove most of the returns in the market. Um, you know, what he's saying here is we're not going to have a crash. I mean, this is not the dot-com bubble of the late 90s. Facebook, Amazon, Apple, Netflix, Google – they all make real money and really good money. Um, the question just comes down to, you know, what price are investors going to be willing to pay for some of those stocks? So at some point they become like Procter and Gamble or something like that, or one of these stocks that becomes just a behemoth. Yeah. And isn't a growth stock anymore, I guess. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's that's what people are trying to wrap their heads around. Or you've got these very profitable companies that do still have big growth potential, but is it big enough to justify some of these valuations? Um, and prediction number ten, I, I felt like this was the cop out one that was thrown in there, Dave, just to round out and make ten here, um, because they say. There may be a correction or bear market in the near future. So I, I read that and I say, okay, well, you know, okay. what's he saying? He says the next three to five years, there'll be a correction oh or a bear market. This isn't a, a prediction would be, honestly, there, he would say there will be a bear market. That at least is a prediction. There may right. be, should not <laughs> come under the category of a prediction. Right. It's more of a statement. So, and why, why this is so ridiculous 
let me just give you the statistics here. You know, on average, we have a market correction once every 10 months. On average, we have a bear market roughly once every four years. So to say there's going to be one of those in the next three to five years, to me, that's that's not a going out on a limb at all. That would be quite abnormal if we didn't, at the very least, have a correction uh, in that time period. Okay, that's a good list. It was worth talking about. Some things he just threw in. Yeah. You know, you got to write these things. I get it. We've written stuff before. <laughs> you got to pump out that content. Exactly. <laughs> all right. Uh, I think that's all we've got for today, right, Dave? Yep, that's it. Okay. Thanks for checking in, and we will talk with you again next month.